0: Hello everyone. Welcome to The Writing Cabin with Tara Benner. I'm fantasy author Tara Benner and this is my cabin. We all need to escape into story from time to time. So come on in, sit down by the fire, pour yourself a nice hot cup of coffee, and let's talk books. Now, before we get started today, I want to take a quick moment to thank my wonderful patrons. Patrons, your support not only funds the creation of new stories, but it tells me that you enjoy my books so much that you want to support them and me directly. If you're not familiar with Patreon, Patreon is a platform that allows readers to support authors with a small monthly contribution, and you can join our Patreon family for just $2 a month. I create a brand new piece of writing for my patrons every month as well as an exclusive video diary, And you can gain access to that entire library of Patreon exclusives for that $2 pledge. Or if you bump your pledge up to $3 a month, you will also get each new novel I release as an ebook. Again, that's patreon.com forward slash Tara Benner Labs. All right. This week's featured book is The Witch's Fortune. This is Fiona's prequel novella in the Witches of Mountain Shadow series, so it is essentially book zero. In the small town of Mountain Shadow, Fiona and Eleanor have always been the Weird Grimes sisters. Fiona never had any intention of moving back home, but when her parents are killed in a fire, she's drawn back to the rambling old house that's been in her family for generations. There she finds an unwelcome guest, the spirit of a 19th century gold prospector who knew her great-great-grandmother Loretta. He's there for one reason and one reason alone, to keep Fiona from leaving Mountain Shadow. Now, The Witch's Fortune just released this week. As I said, it is Fiona's prequel novella, so it actually takes place a few years before *Etherwitch*. Witch. I will put a link to that book down in the show notes, or you can visit tarabender.com forward slash books to find that and the complete, which is a mountain shadow series. That's Tara with an H. It's time for my little life updates that I do each and every week. And this past weekend was Father's Day weekend, of course. So if you are a dad, happy belated Father's Day. This was actually my husband's very first official Father's Day since we have our son who is just now 10 months old. And he had the day off, I took the day off, and we decided to visit the Victor Gem and Mineral Show in Victor, Colorado as a family. Uh, Victor is actually pretty close to where we live, it's just like four miles from Cripple Creek, Colorado, which... If you're familiar at all with Colorado Gold Rush history, then Cripple Creek will be familiar to you. That whole area is um, just very rich with history, and I believe they're still pulling gold out of the ground up there. Um, And Cripple Creek actually is talked about in The Witch's Fortune because there is that that history there with the spirit character Cornelius, Um, but I'd only been to Victor well, I should say the outskirts of Victor maybe once. And um, gem and mineral shows are pretty big around here. There are several, you know, just maybe 30 minutes from where I live in the summertime. And my husband and I, we love crystals. Well, I should say, I love crystals. My husband likes turquoise and other gems, uh, mostly turquoise though. And so we went and, oh my gosh. (laughs) Victor is so much fun. It's this weird little town. And I say it's a weird little town. It's just like, it's it's a quirky, quirky town. And there are a few little antique stores. And there's a couple restaurants and a coffee shop and a cute little downtown. And the Crystal people, the Gem and Mineral Show people had like taken over, um, the downtown, and there were all these vendors, and it it was a really great place for people watching, like, I don't know how people come to live in Victor, Colorado, but it is a very eclectic bunch, Uh, there were quite a few, like, motorcycle guys and gals, and, uh, um, you know, just just lots of very interesting people. And I did get uh, two new crystals. I'll show them if you're watching on YouTube. So I got a little piece of spirit amethyst. And I got this new stone that I had never really seen before. And it's called, I'm going to pronounce this wrong, popolite. It's from India. And it's just this really pretty um almost clear but not quite clear you know green color like a very very subtle green and the spirit amethyst of course if you're not watching is a real pale lavender with all these little tiny points coming off of it and so that was a lot of fun um I did I did have a moment where I felt like I had stepped through the looking glass in Victor because we were just sitting in the coffee shop having a little coffee before we left town and my husband said, he's like, oh, don't look, but this guy just walked in and he, his entire face is covered in tattoos made to look like a puzzle. Like his whole face was tattooed in the pattern of different puzzle pieces. And I look and I'm like, oh my gosh, like, that's so crazy. <laughs> uh, he looks like the illustrated man. Um And I was like, oh, okay, well, you know, I just kind of like brush that off as just you know one of the characters you know coming to the gem and mineral show but then 10 minutes later I see someone walking out of a store with an art print and on the art print is an illustration of the puzzle face tattoo guy And I was like, what is going on? Like this, this person has to be a local celebrity, of victor. Like I can't think of anything else. Um, and I didn't look him up. I meant to look him up to see if this is um, widely known that the puzzle guy, um, but that was cool. They also had, um, I'm not really sure what you call it when people have the, um, oh, it's, it's, it's escaped me. the ribbons, not the ribbons, the, the, um, oh, what is it called? Anyway, it's kind of like Cirque du Soleil and these people, you know, they have all these things that are hanging and they'll be climbing up them and doing flips and they have that going on. Um, yeah, it was, it was definitely a lot of fun. I would highly recommend the Victor Gem and Mineral Show if you happen to be in the area next summer. I think I'm going to be heading to the Gem and Mineral Show in Fair Play at the end of July. We also have the Lake George Gem and Mineral Show like right in my backyard. Last year it was in August, and so I'm thinking it'll probably be in August this year as well. I know that it's in August because I actually took my son right after he had been born. He was less than a week old, and I... That was his, that was really both of our first outings after I had him and I took him and his little sling to the Lake George Gem and Mineral show. So it's kind of a fun thing to do in the summer. And if you're a crystal person, it's definitely worth doing. That's it for my little life update. Now it's time for my writing updates. Uh, as I had mentioned, this week was the official launch of The Witch's Fortune. And it was kind of an anticlimactic launch because most of my hardcore readers already received their copy. Um, I did the VIP launch of Warrior Witch and I was offering the two book digital bundle from my website. So um, most people had already read it, <laughs> but it was kind of fun just to have another little launch um, in the middle of the month. And uh, yeah, I, I really love that one. It's just a very short. A little novella, but it was a lot of fun to delve into Fiona's backstory and kind of how she decided to come back to her old hometown and settle there with with her sister. So uh, that is out. If you haven't picked up your copy, make sure you do so. This week also wraps up my season of Read by the Author with Lindsay Sparks. That is a weekly podcast where authors come on and read their own books. And so I had an entire season to myself where I was reading Blood Ties. Blood Ties is the other Mountain Shadow prequel novella, but it's from Gabriel and Wesley's perspectives. That was a lot of fun to record. Um, And you can hear the last three chapters on this week's episode. So I will put a link to that down in the show notes. I just ordered my paperback proof of the Fringe collection. This is a new edition that I'm doing of books one through three of the Fringe. It's going to be in a single paperback. It's a pretty thick, pretty thick volume, um, but it's beautiful because I just got the cover redesigned by We Got You Covered. Um, Molly Phipps is the name of the designer, and uh, it's a really cool very clearly dystopian cover. And I needed to get this done because the old cover, it was a little dated, and it I think it looked more hard sci-fi than dystopian. And so I really want to make sure that when people stumble across the fringe, if they're a post-apocalyptic or dystopian fan, they can automatically identify it as something that they will like. And for fans of the series uh, who already have read it and love it, the new edition will hopefully be available next week as long as all is right with the proof copy that i am supposed to receive that on saturday so i'm really excited to get that in my hands it's my first compilation paperback that i've done i've had the collection available as ebooks for a while um and i never thought to do a paperback bundle like that (laughs) um and so it's just it's just the one book it's kind of The digital rendering of the ebook looks like a boxed set of books, but this is actually just a single paperback volume. So yeah, I'm excited to see what that looks like. So as far as the new project that I'm working on, the high fantasy story, which is yet untitled, I have the title for the series all worked out. but I'm not sharing it just yet. I wanna get a little bit farther along in the process before I do, but I am officially past the 90,000 word mark on the new novel. And because it's epic fantasy or high fantasy, um, I keep saying epic fantasy, which would imply that it's a very, very long book, but it's really just high fantasy. It's gonna be longer. I have probably four chapters left to write and my novels always tend to grow in edits as I kind of add details and flush out scenes a little bit more. So I'm fully expecting that this one is gonna ring in probably between 110 and 125,000 words. Um, Well, maybe 120,000 words, we'll see. I'm not entirely sure how long it's gonna be, Uh, (laughs) but uh, it's, it's longer than any book that I've worked on so far which has its challenges plot-wise. I've definitely um, been applying more of the plot gardening approach, I think. So Chris Fox, uh, he has this book called Plot Gardening, and um, essentially you do plot ahead of time, but then you're kind of adding to it and um, developing it as you go, which has definitely been the case. And it's not what I intended for this novel, but because I made such major changes to the first 10 or so chapters, I really had to rethink some of the later chapters as well. And uh, it's just a different world too. It's a whole new ball game doing high fantasy as opposed to paranormal fantasy. So if you're not super familiar with the genre niches, paranormal fantasy or urban fantasy, these We typically have them take place in our world, kind of a modern day setting. And the characters who inhabit those worlds, the the magical characters are, you know, creatures like witches, werewolves, vampires, Um, which is the mountain shadow definitely falls into the paranormal or contemporary fantasy niche. I wouldn't call it urban fantasy because it's not a city setting. It's not really gritty the way a lot of urban fantasy tends to be, but I call it contemporary fantasy or paranormal fantasy. High fantasy, on the other hand, is much more like Tolkien fantasy. Um, you have elves and dragons and wizards and goblins and that kind of thing. And, uh, you can expect that that world has its own languages, its own religions, um, possibly a really in-depth history that goes along with it and it's much more challenging to create a world from scratch like that because you don't have any real life settings or conventions to fall back on and so one of the things that I keep running into or keep thinking about is are there animals like we have on earth in this fantasy setting, or are all the animals different? And the way I've done it so far is there are a mix of real-life animals and made-up fantasy animals in this world. So, you know, if you're in the wilderness and you need to eat, you can catch a rabbit, right? Or a, a robin. You can't catch a robin. You can, you know, there's robins and sparrows and animals, woodland creatures that we would be familiar with, but then they, when they farm, they're cultivating, um, or they're raising, you know, different livestock than we have. It's kind of the main source of income for my character's community are these critters called dungies. And they're kind of a cross between a goat and a llama, if that makes sense, and you can get wool from them and you can milk them and you can eat them, but people don't usually eat them. And so right now I'm doing kind of a mix of made up creatures and real life creatures. Um, But I've been reading, I'll talk about this in my later segment, but I've been reading some Anne McCaffrey and unless there's just a whole lot of animals that I'm not familiar with, I'm pretty sure all the animals in her world are made up. Like, she has, like, spider claws, which are kind of, like, crabs, I want to say, and, um, just different species of fish that I've never heard of, and so it is my impression that all the creatures in her world are made up, um, which makes sense for Pern, but it's kind of a lot of work to make up all the animals in the animal kingdom, and, uh, Sorry if you hear a really low, like humming noise in the recording. Um, where I live, we're kind of on a flight path, not just for commercial flights, but also um, a lot of the training exercises performed by the Air Force. Like, we're really close to NORAD and the Air Force Base down in Colorado Springs. And so we get a lot of um, really crazy military planes and jets flying over our house at all hours, which makes me a little nervous at times, but uh, I like to think we're all (laughs) well-protected. Anyway, so that's one thing I'm running into with doing this new high fantasy world. The other is kind of what mythological characters inhabit that world. And so far we have elves, dragons, dwarves, but one quandary that I am still kind of trying to work out is orcs ogres and goblins because there's some overlap and there's some discrepancy on what fantasy fans think about these creatures and I think you might also lump trolls into this as well so if you go online and you and you consult the experts on orcs a lot of people will say that orcs and goblins are the same creatures, and that Tolkien uses them interchangeably. And for a while, I was like, ooh, are orcs kind of proprietary to Tolkien's world? And that's my it's my impression that that is not the case. But then ogres seem to be their own thing. Like, Shrek is an ogre. But I always think of goblins as these little green men who live... Underground and then I think of orcs as these really giant mean creatures with tusks and little tiny ears and um yeah that's that's what I think of. Um, I kind of also think of them in a way as trolls are portrayed in Harry Potter, like these really well, I guess not really. I, I think of trolls as kind of their own thing, but the way trolls are portrayed in Harry Potter as these giant really scary creatures are different from how I think of trolls, which are like the trolls guarding bridges or living under bridges or hanging out near bridges (laughs) where they're kind of smaller and they're really tricky and they're kind of evil, but not in a super dangerous way. And so just trying to get those things straight in my head has been tricky because I have one fight scene that was originally supposed to be goblins and then it was ogres And now I'm not really sure if it's going to be trolls or goblins or ogres. I haven't quite decided. And then I have another, several other scenes that involve orcs. And so I can't really have goblins be in the first scene if they're they're really broadly considered the same. Because in my head, they're very different creatures. And so if you have an opinion or some quote-unquote evidence as to why orcs and goblins are or are not the same, or how you think of ogres versus orcs versus trolls, please let me know because this is something that I'm constantly researching and trying to get an idea of because obviously it's fantasy. I can do whatever I want within my fantasy world, but I don't want to depart too far from reader expectations of what these creatures are. Okay, Uh, and I'm sure this will come up with more um, mythological creatures as I expand this world. Um, But yeah, it's just a lot, you know, coming up with languages and the creatures. I've already pretty firmly established the history of the world that I'm working in, and kind of the monarchs that's um and their influence on the world, you know, through generations. And that was a lot of fun. Um coming up with made-up languages and made-up words for things is not so fun. I have to take <laughs> I mean, it should be fun, but it's just kind of a lot of brain work, and so I'll usually take my son and his baby backpack and I'll go hike around our land and I'll just rack my brain and say things out loud to try to come up with an appropriate name for something. <laughs> so that's kind of what I'm dealing with right now as I finish up this first draft. I'm very happy because I had a few days where the writing was just like pulling teeth and I was kind of stuck and the last few days things have really amped up. I'm getting that finishing energy um, as I'm coming into the last few chapters of the draft. It's been a lot of fun. I feel like it's coming together so hopefully when I speak to you next week, I will be done with the first draft. So fingers crossed. That's it for my writing update. Now it's time for what am I reading this week? And I am still reading Kingdoms at War by Lindsay Baroker, which is the first book in her Dragon Gate series. The reason I'm still reading it is because I just have not felt like reading with my eyes this week. (laughs) I've just been kind of, uh, kind of tired, and I've been sleeping later because I've been tired, and so I haven't done a lot of reading on my Kindle, but I have done a lot of audio listening, and so I actually just finished up Dragon Song by Anne McCaffrey, and now I am reading, um, Dragon Flight by Anne McCaffrey. So, If you grew up in the 70s or 80s, you're probably very familiar with these books if you're a fantasy fan. But I have never read The Dragon Riders of Pern. And because dragons feature so heavily in this series that I'm currently writing, I've taken it upon myself to really delve into the dragon literature. And uh, I started them out of order. Um... So Dragon's Song is supposed to be like the third one that you read, but it's, it can be read as a standalone. You don't have to have read them in order. And so I'm kind of going back in time now. And uh, I really enjoy Dragon Song. It, I had a hard time kind of getting into it, but then once I was into it, the world was very rich and vibrant and fun. And uh, I loved The character growth, uh, I think it was just amazing. And which makes it, you know, I think when there's a lot of character growth within a novel, the first half is kind of like hard to get through (laughs) because you're like, oh, this character just get it together and just not be like such a ninny. Um, But then the latter half is very like exciting and satisfying because you see this character grow so much and kind of come into her own and so that was kind of the journey of dragon song it was just a really fun beautiful escape i think these are technically considered middle grade novels but i think the audiences of the 70s must have been a lot more sophisticated than today's audiences because i cannot see a middle grade reader picking these up today i think the minimum age would probably be like Thirteen or fourteen, who would really be able to fully comprehend these? Um, but I'm really enjoying them so far. The downside to Dragonflight is I'm listening to the audiobook, and I think the book itself was published in either late '60s or early '70s, and the audio recording definitely sounds like it was done in the '70s, possibly the '80s. Um, it's <laughs> the audio quality is not great. The narrator is. Awful. <laughs> um, but it's still a really enjoyable story, so I'm getting through it. That's about all I have this week, but before we go, let's check the mailbox. So I want to imagine, I want you to imagine that I'm going outside among the wildflowers and plucking a letter from my mailbox, but really I'm just reading a YouTube comment. This was left on my channel by Victoria, who listened to the Ether Witch audiobook on YouTube. And Victoria writes, this is truly an amazing book. I was so mesmerized that it was difficult to stop listening. It was as if I was truly pulled into this town and so felt all the characters. Thank you so much. Looking forward to the next read and always stay magical. Thank you so much, Victoria, for that beautiful comment. It really made my day. If you have any burning questions or comments that you'd like for me to be on the show, you can send them to tarabanner at gmail.com or you can post them on any of my social media channels. I am at author Tara Benner on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok, and I am Tara Benner author on YouTube, so please do subscribe to my channel, like this video, that really helps me out. I am past the 500 subscriber mark, and so that's really exciting. My next goal is to get to a thousand, so please do subscribe. That's all I have for you this week, but feel free to stay in my cabin for as long as you like. We can drink some coffee, you can crack open a good book, hopefully one of mine, and have a wonderful weekend.